0: Phil, that was uh, Chris Grasso, who is a youth mental health and healing group facilitator. Uh, and that's what he considers himself. He's also a public speaker, writer, and author of the Indie Spirit: A No Bullshit Exploration of Spirituality. You know, he's he's a young fellow. Uh, he's definitely uh, approaches what he does with great passion, and he's turned on a lot of people in a, in a very good way, and uh, even a number of uh, celebrities. So. He's really um you know uh taken his addiction, dealt with it effectively and uh and uh seems to be helping others
1: yes indeed um I have um never met Chris, but um he and I and you I would think have uh, mutual friends who have right. already always spoken so highly of him, including people who have been on our show like Dana Sawyer and Mirabai Starr. And so I had uh, looked forward to to uh, interviewing him, and uh, he did not disappoint. I'm right, very, he, had, uh, he even had a picture of Ramdas holding his
0: book. So he, he's really connected. Yeah. well, and, and uh, obviously is cro- uh, close with Mirabai, who we found on the show uh, a couple of times, and uh, who yeah. I always enjoy, and I know you do as well. And uh, yeah, uh, he and I, I think a lot of times the people that have dealt with addictions. Uh, tend to be extremely honest, and that's what I felt about him, especially when he was telling us, you know, about his first wife and about how uh, she left him when he went back to alcohol, and and the way it can happen, where he said he was totally sober, and I've heard stories like this from many people for five years, happens even longer, and then one day, bingo, uh, yeah. they're back to the addiction, and it's just a, it, it it's a fear that I'm sure that all people with addictions deal with. And, uh, you know, he's brought out, I think, a lot of effective ways to deal with. And I think ultimately, uh, e- even when you look at the, uh, the you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, there's always a strong spiritual component to those programs that are most effective from what I've seen.
1: So, so it seems, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, people who have been to the depths Mm-hmm. um can you know so i suppose there are people who are in that category who tend to uh sort of speak with spiritual pablum and make everything seem rosy and nice mm-hmm. um but but that there's a less authenticity there but you know people who have been there like chris and others we've spoken to and people we've met um They they have this authentic, no nonsense, uh, no illusions, no delusions uh, approach to um, not only addiction but to spiritual development. That's very refreshing, and you know they don't make it sound like uh, you know do do what I say and everything will always be rosy and good. They recognize that you know, the human condition. And, and especially for those who are uh, caught in the grip of something or, or prone to, you know, backsliding on something devastating like an addiction. So it's, I, I find that really helpful. And I'm sure, you know, he's very effective in in working with certain kinds of people mm-hmm. because of that authenticity. Right, right. I,
0: I, I also wonder, too, when somebody who is an addict uh, makes their life profession dealing with addicts. Obviously, that's uh, a form of therapy for themselves. And it, I would imagine it also puts pressure on them to stay sober. Uh, but, you know, it's amazing yeah. the stories you hear people sliding in and out of that. And uh, uh, it's, it's not easy. And in, in our culture, certainly, and I think it's probably worldwide, it's an enormous problem. And, uh, you know, most people have family or friends that have dealt with it. So it's very, very real to uh, uh, many and all people, and uh, but there's no quick fix, you know, because you hear stories sometimes, yeah. oh, I discovered this, I started meditation, I did yoga, whatever it was, and I'm going to be sober forever, and, and that's probably what the person actually thinks in their intention, but as we all know, uh, it takes a lot more than that, and we all have peaks and valleys in our life, and, and when we're in those valleys, everything becomes more difficult, so... You know, him yeah. being out there uh, continually giving a, a, a positive message, especially a young guy with that type of energy and passion, uh, I think it's great.
1: Yeah, and one of the strengths that people like Chris uh, bring to the table is when they can communicate their own stories in a powerful and effective way. And just reading the beginning of his book about... right. You know, I mean, it was harrowing. And, and, and you, like you said, it was read. very
0: honest. He didn't leave out any yeah. details.
1: Yeah. No, and that, you know, for, for people who can identify with uh, that kind of uh, pain and that kind of um, just sort of loss of uh, willpower and whatever else it is that keeps people uh, sober and sane, you know, he lost it and he described it and the devastation of it. And, um, that he comes out the other side is very inspiring. Right. Right. And, And the other side of
0: it is the people who have family members and close friends, spouses, brothers, sisters, whatever that are, uh, fighting addiction or maybe not, or just addicts and not fighting addiction. The, the toll it takes on their life, the devastation that they go through so from that side too, I think spiritual tools are necessary to deal with and recover from that because, you know, it's uh, the codependence or every aspect of it, but there are people whose lives have just been made uh, her, uh, horrendous because of uh, the addictions of those people uh, close to them. So it's not only self-damaging when people get get those afflictions, uh, but it is, uh, uh it, it, it is uh, destructive to all around them. And, and that's why, like, you yeah. know, throwing people in prison for jail, you know, for for, uh, for being uh, drug addicts, it, it's, I I think it's insane. I mean, it's a real illness that has to be dealt with. Now, if a person becomes dangerous, obviously they have to be removed uh, from situations where they can endanger people. But uh, ultimately, they have to, what has to be dealt with is, is that addictive addiction, and it's, it's psychological, and it's also physiologically based, and, and you know yeah, uh, resources have to go into that. And I think we're way behind the yeah. times in terms of of, de- of dealing oh, with terribly. it effectively. So,
1: and and it it's you know even from an economic point of view, I'm sure it's right. less expensive to treat people as uh, patients, or a sort of medical or psychological or spiritual model, than as a, Prisoners, as, right. uh, you know, I just criminal, read, uh, criminals. Uh, it, who need to be punished.
0: Yeah, in the United States now, it costs uh, an average of eighty-eight thousand dollars a year to keep somebody in prison. In a place like New York, it's uh, well over a hundred. So yeah, so from an economic standpoint, it's not making yeah. any sense either. So it's, you can give
1: uh, people jobs and treatment instead, and it would be a lot more effective. Right. But. That's not the nature of our show, Dennis, to uh, right. engage in these, uh, to to solve those societal problems. But right. it, it's great that there's people like uh, Chris Grasso around to help individuals and and um, maybe you know yeah. prevent people from falling right. deeper into that dark right. hole.
0: Right, and I have to ask this question. I we both studied with Maharishi. We know what he said about. Uh, those types of things. You're right. You just wrote a book, The Life of Yogananda. Did Yogananda ever talk about alcoholism or addictions or drugs? I guess alcohol would have been more. He, he did.
1: He did. Um, but, you know, we didn't know as much, right. you know, when he was alive, uh, uh, you know, as we do now about the nature of addiction. And it wasn't seen to be a problem then. I mean, don't you, you know, one of the interesting things about that is. When Yogananda came here, he arrived at the beginning of the Prohibition era. Uh huh. So you wow. know, and he'd stay in ho- he'd stay in <laughs> hotels where there were speakeasies, you know, where Ill- illegal drug uh, alcohol was being sold. Wow. You know, and then you know he was still here when <laughs> Prohibition was repealed, and and all that. So you know, he knew, yeah. and he had to address. Uh, you know, people with uh, drinking problems, as they would have been called then. But, you know, they would have been the sort of um, bad habits and sort of evil uh, impulses uh, that um, he would have counseled people to avoid and to use his yogic methods to rise above and to overcome and to, you know, have a strong and healthy body and and that sort of thing. But, you know, the knowledge of addiction and the language of addiction that we now have was just sort of, you know. And I I want to add, Phil, that for our
0: listeners that are too young to even have heard of prohibition, it was a period in the United States when (laughs) alcohol was made illegal. It didn't work, and uh, it led to uh, gangland violence and and, uh, speakeasies were places where people could sneak in and have alcohol. But it was all uh, illegal, and it, it led to a lot of corruption. So then that was uh, repealed, and uh, uh, alcohol was made legal again. And but you know, and it comes with it, its its whole set of problems. But the prohibition yes, it does it wasn't working. you know okay.
1: So I'm going to tell you a piece of trivia yeah. before we go. I just right. found this out the other day. You know, Walgreens, yes, the, I do um, drug store, the the, the big pharmacy. drug store yeah. chain. It began apparently. In, in the Prohibition era, there were exceptions. It's very much like with legalized marijuana right. for medical use right. now. You could get a prescription for alcoholic uh, alcoholic beverages or whatever, you know, for uh, for medical purposes. Um, and Walgreens began as an
0: outlet for that. Unbelievable. And the other thing people <laughs> should know is, you could make your own wine. So both my grandparents, my grandfathers, had wine cellars where they made wine. Uh, one, one of uh, the my grandfathers was pretty good at it. The other one, it always tasted like vinegar. Now, I wasn't alive during the Prohibition, but they continued to use those wine cellars and make it so... Uh, Phil and I usually don't get off the subject. A matter of spirituality, <laughs> no. but once in a while, I think it's okay. <laughs> we have to, yeah, we have to entertain as well as enlighten. E- exactly, keeping And please okay. <laughs> uh, uh, email or go to go to spiritmatters dot Get it. Contact us. Your advice, your uh, your 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 uh, praise and criticism. Everything's appreciated. So uh, please, uh, yeah. please connect with us, Phil. Uh, Till next okay. time. Take care.
1: Thanks.